You're listening to the Dyslexia Mom Life Podcast. I'm Nicole Holcomb, former teacher and school counselor turned civil rights attorney and podcast host. It wasn't that long ago that we learned the reason that our daughter was struggling to learn to read in first grade was dyslexia. Fast forward four years past many hours of research and collaborating with experts in the field of dyslexia. Now I'm sharing the lessons I have learned that took me from being an overwhelmed mom who didn't understand dyslexia to a go-to mom who is helping hundreds of moms each week through education and collaboration. I created the Dyslexia Mom Life podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies and hacks to help you do the same. If you're feeling alone and lost on your parenting dyslexia journey and you're looking to find a mom who gets it, you're in the right place. Let's jump in and get started. Hey there, you're listening to episode 129 and welcome to the podcast if you're new and if you've been here for a minute, thank you so much for coming back and listening today. It means so much that you continue to tune in and learn all about dyslexia and all about parenting your amazing dyslexic. So today I again have the very special guest of Chris Holcomb. Chris, thanks for being on the podcast again. You're welcome. Okay, well today we are going to dive into a different topic than you heard us talk about last week. Today we're going to be talking about dysgraphia. And like dyslexia, it has a a different name, right? Like when we think about dyslexia, dysgraphia, I'm not sure why people named these differences, uh, these really unique names that are sometimes hard to pronounce and even to uh, spell. But today we're going to talk about dysgraphia because you may or may not know, depending on how long you've been around your dyslexic, that dyslexia comes with, it usually comes with a family, all right? usually comes with sisters. There's usually a car with other people in there with, with that dyslexic piece. And if you've been listening for a while, you've probably heard me refer to them as the dyslexic sisters. And so we're going to be talking about one of the sisters today. When you're reading or listening to other podcasts, you may hear people reference co-occurrences or co- comorbidity is what some people call it. So it's things that are happening, um, it, you know, learning differences, disabilities, whatever you might want to call it, that is happening alongside the dyslexia. So like ADHD, for example, things of that nature. So one of the things we want to do this season in Dyslexia Mom Life is start to unpack some of these other pieces that you may be experiencing that you didn't know was going to be part of the package, right? <laughs> you didn't know it was going to be part of this journey. So today we're going to talk about one of those dis- those sisters, like I said. We're going to talk about dysgraphia. So I want to try to give you a, a, an easy definition to, to remember and uh, it, it, it sometimes can be difficult to understand. But one of the definitions... Like dyslexia, there's many definitions out there. So Chris and I were really looking at different definitions and looking at different experts. We just listened to a, I think it was what, a Ted, Ed? Ted Ed. Ted Ed talk. It was a high school student talking about her dysgraphia. It was really interesting to hear her talk about her dysgraphia. What was interesting, though, is, is that she defined dysgraphia for her as the inability to write coherently. Chris, did that that strike a nerve with you when you heard that? Very much so. Okay, so for those of you that don't know, uh, Chris, tell me a little bit about uh, why we're talking about dysgraphia today and and why you're here to talk about dysgraphia. Well, I'm I'm, I'm here to talk about dysgraphia because um, I've never been formally diagnosed, but all the signs are there. 
Um, I started as, as a young child having a lot of difficulties with handwriting and handwriting was, you know, like the, the big, uh, big thing for, for me to start out with. But even as an adult, I see other little pieces that I, I didn't even realize were, were, were still there. And it, it, and it's, it's happened to me as recently as like this last week, I've, I've had some difficulty with my writing. Yeah, because I know for us and our family, one of the things that we do to support each other, one of the things I do to support Chris is that uh, sometimes when you're dysgraphic, you know, you're processing things and you're writing things out. I know for Chris, he'll probably, you know, echo this in a moment, which is, you know, for him, it could be he's writing an email to someone and he'll say, hey, do you, do you have a second just to take a look at this? Uh, and it's not necessarily to edit what he's doing, but what happens is a lot of times he'll write something out and I'll look at it and I go, do you realize you left three words out or do you realize it says this? And I know what he meant to say because I've got the context of the email in front of me, right? He's like, no, that's not what it says. I'm like, let me read it out loud. And then when I read it back out loud to him, he's like, yeah, that's not what that should have said. And so as you can imagine, not only as a student, but even as an adult, how that might be impacting you. And so one of the reasons we're bringing this to the show today is so so you will be aware of that for your child and be able to see some of those signs. So we're going to unpack that a little bit here in a couple minutes. Uh, Chris, did you want to say anything else about that piece? No, I was I was going to say that um, the the part about writing things is because um, even with the technology that's out today, uh, Grammarly, uh, right? You know, using a word processor. You You're dating still, yourself now. You mean speech to text things like that? Yeah, speech to text. <laughs> you can still. You can still have a lot of difficulty writing. Yeah, because sometimes the spell check won't won't catch it if they don't know what you're trying to spell, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that happens too. So uh, another definition, though, that I've run across that I, I really like, it's from a speech, speech therapist, what she uses. And she says that this is a brain-based specific learning disorder, so brain-based, and it impacts the child's writing and fine motor skills. Makes sense, right? Like, so if you know anything about dysgraphia, and you do now, it is the way the brain is processing as far as those writing and fine motor skills. And they say it's it's pretty, you know, highly prevalent in kids, obviously, with dyslexia, also ADHD, um, with it being that brain-based piece, that neurological piece. Obviously, it affects adults, but it also affects our kids. And that's, like I said earlier, one of the reasons we wanted to talk about it today. So one of the things I wanted to share with you, though, is that, you know, uh, well, let me go back for a minute. I was talking about the other, I guess, co-occurrences, you could say, as far as with ADHD and things of that nature. One of the things I found interesting when I was doing some research is they say between 20 to 60%, although that's a pretty big window, right, of children that have ADHD also may have dysgraphia. And the reason I say that is, again, if, if you're here because your child's dyslexic or you're here because your child's struggling to learn to read, it also could be that that dysgraphia is also getting in the way of that. And I'll be honest, when I first thought of dysgraphia, I always thought it was handwriting. And so as long as back as Chris and I uh, had started dating, I can remember always giving him a hard time because his handwriting looked like a doctor's. Like it was like slanted, it was hard to read, but it had that nice little penmanship of, of you know what you see as a physician, which is one or two letters and the rest of it's not recognizable. Uh, but for Chris, sometimes he'll even go back and look at his own work and he can't recognize what he's written. Does that happen still, Chris, sometimes? Oh, yeah, all the time. I, I, you know, most of the time um, with when I would, like, take notes or write something down, 
and uh, I'm finding out that it, as I find out more about dysgraphia is just like keeping up uh, as when you're like taking notes, you're trying to keep up, you're trying to write real fast and then you just have to leave things out. And yeah. then so what happens is my notes are incoherent because, you know, you got the beginning, I got, I got the beginning, I got maybe a little bit of the middle, but I definitely didn't get the end. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about, because this was fascinating to me, just like dyslexia may have severities, dysgraphia, there's actually five types of dysgraphia. Now hold on tight with me. I will put this in the show notes because I know it might be hard to kind of follow along, but I'm going to break those down for you. So the five types are dyslexic dysgraphia, motor dysgraphia, spatial dysgraphia, phonological dysgraphia, and lexical dysgraphia. So as you can tell, again, really uh, seems a little more complicated. Let me kind of break it down one by one for you. So when we're thinking about the dysgraphic, I'm sorry, the dyslexic dysgraphic, how they're characterizing that particular type of dysgraphia is poor spontaneous written work. So they're able to copy something off the board okay, but they're, they have minimum fine motor def- deficits there. So it could be that the dyslexia dysgraphia is work when they're working independently, many times it looks illegible. I can't speak. It will look illegible. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, and in contrast to that, when they copy it off the board, that it, it they're able to follow along e- easier as far as getting that down. But usually the speed of that, the fine motor skills are more normal in nature as far as they're able to keep up with things. And so, again, though, those are really two different things, though, right? They could be dyslexic and have dysgraphia, but this is a type of dysgraphia that they were talking about. So that to me is really interesting because I always kind of lumped them all into one thing until I did some more research and realized, oh, wow, there's actually lots of pieces here to unpack as it relates to dysgraphia. Another one is motor dysgraphia. And I think this is the one I most like, I most think about when I think about dysgraphia. And this is the, the poor fine motor skills you, you know, the written work is just not legible. You just can't make any sense out of it. Uh, short samples, um, you know, they could, could take a little extra effort and time as well. Poor grasp. So even how a child may hold a pencil. Now for this one, for the motor one, spelling is not affected. So they're able to spell well. It's the actual physical pieces of actually holding their pencil and actually the muscle tone, the dexterity, their motor skills is what's holding them up as far as having that handwriting. And so that poor grasp can impact the way that that written word looks. So many times they may have even like pressure points on their paper and things like that. And and I don't think they have this anymore, but when I was growing up, definitely, we had on our report cards, they would always have a handwriting grade. Yeah. I never had a satisfactory or an excellent. I always had, you know, a U. I guess I believe needs it was uns, un, unsatisfactory or needs yeah. improvement. And I remember even as late as high school getting points taking off on my assignments, you know, 10 points messy. And that was something that, you know, that, you know, tracked me all the way through school. Like when I was in like second grade, um, I think that's when we switched from having a landscape type tab, like tablet that we wrote on our notebook. And then we went to a portrait style type. And I don't even know if they make these anymore. It's, we did this before you went to notebook paper. Yeah. And I remember when you went to the, uh, portrait style, 
it ha- it still had the little line there, so you know where the you know yeah, so you could know where your R's and I's were supposed to come up to when you wrote. And my teacher made me special paper with those lines on it, like, and she's you know xeroxed it off, made copies of it, and that's what I wrote my assignments on. So while everybody was doing that, I was I was doing this. Right. Right. So that that leads into this next piece too. So the third type is spatial dysgraphia and it's a visual spatial deficit. And they said both spontaneous and copied work can be poor. Spelling and fine motor skills are usually okay. Poor baseline placement and spacing. So you may start off on one line and end up on a different line, like as far as not writing straight across the paper. Uh, students usually do well in spelling and things of that nature. There's no fine motor uh, concerns there, but they will have where they won't stay on the, on the line. So they, they're like moving um, up or down as far as writing across the paper. So it's more spatial. Like how are their letters spaced out from one another? How are their sentences spaced out? Uh, so it looks a little different there. So that's how they, they look at that piece. So that one's a little bit different. The fourth one is phonological dysgraphia. This one is notable because spelling um, unfamiliar words, uh, just they have irregular spelling on things, difficulties with phonemes and blending. And so writing and spelling definitely is difficult for this particular type of dysgraphia. Uh, and the, and students, a lot of times with this type of dysgraphia, with the phonological, they have a hard time holding the phonemes in their memory and blending the sounds together and getting the right, actually, right word on the paper. Uh, the fifth and final one is called a lexical uh, dysgraphia, and it relies on the sound-to-letter patterns. Misspelling of irregular words happen. Uh, the child can spell, but they rely really heavily on letters and patterns uh, of that as well. And they said that's pretty common as far as languages in English, sometimes in French. Uh, but the, this type of dysgraphia is, is more rare, they said, as opposed to the others that we just talked about. So, yeah, there's a couple different ones there. I wouldn't get too in the weeds about what type you're looking at because I'm going to tell you in a few minutes some things you can do to figure out, like some other th- warning signs and kind of things to watch for, uh, some other signs and characteristics. But like Chris was just saying, I think a perfect segue next would be, I want to share just a couple of myths because I always think it's interesting when we talk about what people think and what things actually are. And so this kind of goes into where I started the conversation about what I think about when I was not educated on dysgraphia, which is, is messy handwriting a sure sign of dysgraphia? So no, that's false. A common sign of dysgraphia, uh, the handwriting may be hard to read, but some students actually write neatly. And so it's more of a time and effort. And so sometimes a student may say, they may say, oh, they just have sloppy handwriting. They just need to slow down. And that's not the case. You know, a lot of this is the way your brain is processing the written word and then you getting it onto the page. So to me, that's very interesting as well. Um, then then I, yeah. can, I can write neatly or write neater, uh, but the, the speed has is, is, is definitely been my issue. And I remember like in school, when we do assignments, I was always like the last person to finish. Mm-hmm. And, and it wasn't that I didn't know the answer. It was just, it just took me that much longer to do my my work. Yeah, so this this other myth then goes right into that, which is students with dysgraphia are just being lazy, true or false. Definitely a myth. Because what happens is, is that the act of writing, like Chris was just saying, is slow. It's a actual a tedious task. 
So when they're when students are thinking about forming those letters and those words, it requires so much effort that the child then forgets what they wanted to say in the first place. So it's not surprising that students with dysgraphia, they don't like to write. They may even resist writing activities. And to a, to a parent, to a teacher, they may look like they're just being lazy because they just don't want to do it. But the underlying factors or concerns that we're not seeing is that they're struggling. And then we think about our students watching other friends, peers who are writing easily. So it really can even affect affect their self-esteem, just like with dyslexia. So, you know, we have to think about those pieces when we're listening to, uh, when we're even at home, right? And like, why is this taking so long? Uh, We have that at our house. It takes a minute sometimes to get things done. And so as parents, it's important to know that. In a few minutes, I'll give you some strategies that you can use. But I want you to know that, that that you may hear that as well from from people, or you may even think that yourself. But one of one of the things I see in 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 that is that we went to this uh, workshop a uh, a month ago, and when we were at the workshop, you asked me if I was going to take notes, oh, and yeah. I said like, no, no, I'm I'm beyond that. I've I've reached the age <laughs> where I know that it's going to be more frustrating for me to take the notes than than it is to to you know to just just absorb it. Uh, and so that's what I did. I, I, I did not take the first note at all. I knew you were taking notes, so uh-huh. I felt pretty comfortable there. <laughs> but then also I get into this thing where you go to the doctor's office and what's the first thing you do? They hand you a sheet and they want you to fill it out. And that takes me forever. And last time I went, because, you know, it's um, beginning of the year, is last time I went, I went there. I was sitting there. They called me back. I still had it. still hadn't finished it. I had my entire appointment and then I had to, after my appointment was over, they, you know, sent me out to, you know, pay, pay the bill or, or, you know, get my prescriptions. And I had to wait and finish filling out the little sheet that said nothing had really changed. And, you know, you know, did I have any medical problems, which was kind of crazy, but that, that kind of thing like stresses me out anytime I have to fill out any kind of like printed thing. So I just avoid it. So this is a good segue to that. Then the last myth I wanted to share with you was most kids outgrow dysgraphia, so it's not necessary to spend any time helping them. So obviously Chris just shared from an adult perspective where he's still, you know, still, you know, uh, I don't know if you want to say interrupt, it's still part of something he deals with even, you know, throughout his adult life. So, so that is false, right? Like that's not true. Dysgraphia, it is considered a lifelong something that you're dealing with. However, I'm going to talk to you in a few minutes about what are some things we can do as parents, though, to help alleviate some of those pieces. But just like with dyslexia, uh, it's not something that just goes away. It's something that they that's just part of who they are now, right? So just wanted to give you a couple of myths there to kind of help a little bit with the, the five types of dysgraphia before we talk about some of the signs and characteristics, because you may be thinking maybe this is me, or you may be thinking, maybe this is why my child is taking so long to complete work, or, uh, you know, something we've seen in our household is, I'm always the last one to finish, okay, but it's not because you're getting stuff wrong, it's just taking you longer to process and longer to get your thoughts out to the paper. So, as a parent, it's important for you to know those characteristics and those signs so that you're able to better ask you know, ask the questions you need to ask at school, get the right accommodations and also help support your child at home and at school. And when I was in elementary school, I mean, it would take me hours to do all the homework. And by the time I got to high school, I just stopped doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I really, I really just like, if it was something that was going to take a long time, I just didn't do it. And it wasn't that many points because I knew, you know, I did, I did find otherwise in my classes, but homework was 
not going to get completed. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why it's important, too, that when we're talking about working with our schools and working with people that are working with our students, you know, if you're finding that your child is struggling to get homework done and and you ask the teacher, you know, how long should this be taking? And they say 10 minutes and you say, we've spent two hours on this. Like those are conversations that are helpful to have as well. So some of the things you may be wondering about is, well, what should I be looking for? Like what are some signs or characteristics that my child may have one of the types of dysgraphia? So some of the things that uh, I've seen in some of the research is things like poor letter formation, spacing, size, you know, you just heard me talk about one of the dysgraphias as far as like just spacing out. Like it could be that they write a sentence, but the words in the, you know, the words in the sentence are not recognizable, right? It's like one big word instead of an actual sentence. Uh, they may have difficulty with like longer writing assignments. You may see your child grip their pencil differently uh, or have trouble with that or they put too much pressure on the paper they, they may have just, it may just look different as far as how they hold their pencil. And then many times, not in all of those that we just talked about, but many times you won't be able to read the writing. Your child may not even be able to read their own writing. So when they have that poor letter formation and they're really struggling to get that information down on the paper, you're also looking at, you know, anxiety around those pieces, maybe even a refusal to do the work or to write it down. And the act of writing might actually be painful for them as far as just because it could be a motor situation, a fine motor situation. So they're really struggling as to how to actually hold the pencil and do those things. And so there's a couple of things there to look at. Uh, before I tell you, or, or share with you rather, not just tell you, but share with you kind of the next steps when you think about yeah, those things are happening at my house. Like I see my child really struggling to get the work done. And when we are working to write a sentence to summarize something, or we're writing down a couple of words, or we've got to write down some homework assignment. And we, we were doing some research earlier today, and we were even seeing where they were talking about it impacts math. It impacts every subject, right? Because it's part of it is that neurological piece to that. That was interesting. And, and we, we, had a, we had a chemistry class together in oh, college, yeah. And one of the things I remember about it is um, I never finished. I never finished. I never finished the test. Yeah. Um, so obviously, I'm not a chemist now. But uh, <laughs> but it would it would be like a you know a 50 question test, and he would give us you know an hour to do it. And there were there was just like I would not finish it uh, because of the time it took me to you know work out all the formulas and everything. And 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 I didn't know it then. I didn't, you know, I was just like, oh gosh, you know, it just takes me forever. But I didn't, I didn't realize it was, it was related. And now it makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I have nightmares about that class still. So, okay. So moving right along. <laughs> so I do want to share with you before I kind of, like I said, give you some suggestions as far as what to do next as, from a parent perspective. I did want to share with you a little bit about what dysgraphia affects. And so I want to talk about, there's there's four different little domains, kind of, you could call them. So one is, when you think about dysgraphia, because it is neurological, one of the things that it impacts is concentration. So you might see trouble keeping track on thoughts. You may see difficulty, you know, thinking of words to write. Like, how do I, like, for example, last summer, when my daughter got through with a book report, she had to write down three reasons she would recommend the book to somebody. And she's like, well, I liked it. I'm like, okay, but 
you know, and so she had, she had a, a thought in her mind, but trying to pull those words out to try to figure out, you know, so I had to figure out a different way to approach it with her, but it could be that they just get stuck there, right? Like, what are the right words to say oh. here? And they could tire quickly when writing, too. Like, they may need to take breaks because that concentration is so um, tedious for them, I guess. Well, and, and I know that one thing I do, and, and, and I still do it to this day, is sometimes I will come up with something and it will be, it'll be, like, really lengthy. And then I'll be like, no, I'm not writing all that. And so then what will happen is I will just shorten it. I will, I will like, you know, and that's probably one of the reasons I leave out words is I'll come up with a quicker way to say it. Yeah. I'll be like, no, I don't need to, I don't need to go into all this detail to explain why, you know, the, the, something needs to be repaired on my car. I'll just say like, it, it makes a sound when you crank it. You know, I won't go into all the other details because it just takes too much Effort. time. Yeah. 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 So in addition to the concentration piece, another piece that impacts what we briefly mentioned earlier is fine motor. So if you're not real sure what all that means, one of the fine motor pieces can be handwriting difficulties. And so, like I said earlier, it's the formation of the letters. It can be the spacing of the letters or the words. It can be the sizing of them. Like Chris said earlier, like, are they staying in between the lines? Are there, are there words, are there letters really large or really tiny? Like what is those size? look like so that could be part of the fine motor it also could be the the manipulation piece of it so actually holding that pencil how do they grip it how do they use the equipment as far as technology and things of that nature like the mechanical pieces of it can also be impacted and i think and, yeah, i think one of the things i do is for some reason uh, the way i write my fours confuses people i believe that's which one it is four they go like is this a four or a nine i'm going like it's a four, can't you see? But but <laughs> no. but but the way I write them apparently is unique, even though it doesn't look unique to me. It's just the way I make fours. But it really confuses people, and 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 I think it's part of the fine motor. I mean, when I was a child, they they encouraged me to play video games, which is something That's unheard fine. of today. But I mm -hmm. remember back then, and you know, we were still using Ataris back then, so it was it was just Don't crazy. Don't date that us like that. It, it was so. <laughs> interesting to remember them saying like hey you need to you need to you know use one of these devices mm -hmm, absolutely uh, another piece of the four of the dysgraphia pieces i want to share with you is the organization and you may hear some people say uh executive functioning some people call it executive functioning it's about how your child organizes and plans so the organizational part of it so some of the things that might benefit that is like a visual uh some type of visual aid so it could be that you use some type of a, a, like a keyword vocabulary they can go to. I know sometimes in the past, um, teachers have given the kids like, here's a you know, list of adjectives you can use for this writing assignment. A checklist may be helpful. Um, sometimes it might require time to plan visually. Like maybe they need to do a little mind mapping or story mapping where they're putting you know, that subject in the middle. Uh, maybe it's dinosaurs. I don't know. Maybe it's chemistry. Who knows? And then they're, you know, making a little web out from there as far as what are the main topics I need to talk about. Kind of like an outline, but more of a visual outline, if you will. And then that gives the child something to go back and look at. Uh, and then they're definitely going to need uh, a part of the organization is time for proofreading. 
And that's hard because they look at I me, mean, even now, you know, Chris is looking at me going, yeah. Uh, you know, when you're proofreading something, you've spent so much time on it. Many times it's hard for you to self-edit. So you have to, you know, help get help from others as well. And I, I, believe, in the, I believe in the Ted Ed thing that we're talking about that it would take them twice as long yeah. to, to read something and then write the response. Yeah, absolutely. So the other part of the dysgraphia, one of the things uh, that I was looking at too, as far as the other areas... To look at is, and we can talk about more of that, this in a minute, but I wanted to kind of jump ahead and talk a little bit about this, which is things that can help in the classroom. And so um, one of the pieces there might be that, you know, extra time, right? Maybe your child needs to have extra time as an accommodation as far as it needs to be specific to writing, right? So it might need to be that that accommodation, the way it's listed, is just not extra time, but maybe it's also extra time on written assignments, right? So look at those things. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit in a minute, but I'll kind of jump ahead and tell you, you know, as far as, um, you know what, let me do that. So as far as like what I would do next, we're going to talk a little bit in a minute about where I was going there, but what I think about the things that you would do next is I would ask for, uh, an assistive technology assessment done for your child if you feel like that they're having trouble in this area. Uh, occupational therapy is another, you know, another uh, evaluation you could ask for a school to do. And you're asking for those pieces so that you can determine if there's specific accommodations. And when your child was last evaluated, go back to that evaluation, see if there's any written you know, if, if you think this is an area that you're seeing some of these characteristics, then go back into that evaluation and look to see where there are low scores in writing. Now, your child may be really young, so you might not have enough information there yet, but even their pencil grip and things like that, an occupational therapist can look at and say, yes, there are some concerns here, and they can start working with your child to help them, and it might be the accommodation is a special kind of paper, or it might be that they do have a, you know, a special something that goes on the pencil. Like there's different things they can do that will help your child, depending on what type of dysgraphia they have. And and one of the, one of the things uh, you mentioned the assistive technology is um, a, a few years back I was at a school and I felt like assistive technology was going to solve all of our problems. And um, some some of the people I were I was working with were very paper based. It had to be handwritten. You you know like if you were you know, charting, uh, documenting a student's progress. You had to do it on paper. And I was like, it's so much easier to do it this way. And I was, I was even doing it on an iPad and it made my job twice as easy as what they wanted. And then I'd have to print it out for them because they didn't know how to look at things digitally or something. But, um, one of the things I did was at that time they were starting to go one-to-one -one where the students were getting their own devices. And there was a student that, uh, I was helping with and like the teacher had like said, um, you know, you write a paragraph about, you know, I don't know, dinosaurs. And 30 minutes later, the student's only written like one sentence and he's doing it by hand. And I, you know, I talked to the other teacher and said, I want to, I want to take him outside and try something. Took him outside, showed him how to use the speech to text. And then he had a paragraph within like 10 minutes, which... I'd seen this kid all year long and that was his, his, his regular thing was he wasn't going to write more than like one sentence when, um, when you had an assignment. And, and I was familiar with that because, you know, like anytime you had a discussion question or in college, we had those little blue books that we were supposed to fill up, you know, Ooh, um, somebody would write, you know, several pages and I would write a paragraph 
And I would answer the same question, but had I used some technology like that, I might have written a lot more. And definitely for this student that I was working with and helping out, he was able to write so much more. And I think it was kind of like a breakthrough when he saw he could do it. I think it made a, a big difference in like him as far as, you know, anxiety and everything else. You know, he wasn't stressed out because he was like, he's just talking to his computer and his computer's doing it all for him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So when we're talking about like the pieces of what to do, you know, if you see some of the characteristics and I'll put those in the show notes as well, you know, where your child might be struggling with the written component, but it could be that maybe your child is writing neatly, but it's taking a very long time. Like we said earlier, like something that should take 10 minutes is taking an hour, hour and a half. So I would go back again and kind of dig into that evaluation or ask those questions at the next meeting or even call a meeting if you think that's a concern to look at those pieces to see is, is this dyslexic sister, you know, in the car with us, right? Like, is this something that we're looking at? So once you do that and then you have a plan of what assistive technology can best help your child, they really can benefit from that. Because like Chris said, there's speech to text where the child's just talking and it's, te- it's literally typing it up. You know, it might even be at home. Maybe your child's trying to watch something and they're able just to hit the little button and they're able to speak to the device and, you know, I don't know, Netflix or whatever they're looking at, they're able to search for something. And so it just takes that edge off. Some students may even use a voice recorder and things of that nature. So things that they can do, and there's lots of different apps and technology out there uh, that can help with grammar, like Chris said, Grammarly. Again, though, if you go to get an assistive technology assessment, if your child needs that, then the school can help you identify which accommodations may be best for your child. And then those pieces can be helpful. The other thing that's helpful, I think, at home and at school that we talked a little bit about is really that executive functioning. It's really organizing and planning how they're going to do things. And sometimes it might be part of that is giving them a break so they can just really decompress for a few minutes and then go back to the assignment. But the executive functioning piece, like how are they planning and organizing it? Sometimes they can get very overwhelmed with that and that can really impact their work. So even when you're thinking about chores around the house and things you need your child to do, you know, chunk that up into smaller pieces. It might be that you can't tell your child to go do six things Or even if you say, go clean your room, right? Like that's so overwhelming. Okay, go pick up all the laundry on the floor. Bring those back to me. So it may be that you're having to chunk things out. It may be that you're having to also do that with written assignments at home to kind of help them with that. That should also be something the school is doing to support you too, as far as helping your child um, have more manageable assignments. Those can also be accommodations, right? So when you're looking at all those things and getting the right people on board to have those conversations to make sure your child's supported at school, also be thinking about how you can support them at home, not only in homework, but maybe just things around the house, chores, maybe things they're doing like, you know, maybe they're helping cook dinner. Like how are they learning to, to follow a process? So there's a lot of different little things you can try to kind of help them and help their mind, help their brain kind of figure those pieces out. Um, like for a long time, like when I would look at things, I always thought, oh, it's just, you know, like the myth said, it's just that sloppy handwriting, but that's not it. It goes so much more and beyond that as far as from a neurological standpoint. And I know with dyslexia, sometimes that can be just overwhelming when you start looking at what it really means and the science of it. It can get a little overwhelming at times. And and I think about like how you said something to to, uh, our daughter about like writing down her assignments. And when you said that, I go like, she's not going to write them down, uh, even though I think she does now. So I'm very happy about that. 
uh, because that was never me. But the thing is now, you don't need to write down your assignments. You can just set a reminder and just you know tell whatever device you're using, and I won't say those things and make everybody's computer go off right now, but you can, you can <laughs> say the right words and it will you know set a reminder. I have a book report due. You know, I need to check out a book at the library on this afternoon. And, yeah. And you can set all those reminders and everything for yourself. And those can be just like as easily as like talking into your watch. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I think that's an important piece too. Uh, the executive functioning definitely plays a piece of that with the dysgraphia. And it. And it's part of the organization of writing, like when there are reports due or even like just homework in general can be overwhelming sometimes depending on the written component. Uh, I think it is important because we did have this conversation about how do we help her best organize her night, her day, her assignments, her projects. And I do think you have to find what works. Uh, and does, you know, is it a dry erase calendar? Like that's what we're on now. We have a dry erase calendar and, and we sit down, I sit down with her and we map out the week. What tests do you have this week? What projects do you have coming up? And then that way, every time we walk in the kitchen, she sees it. It's like a visual reminder. But Chris is right. You can also, you know, if your child's using a Google Classroom or, you know, there's other things they can use that they're more comfortable. Uh, like at my daughter's school, they do like a weekly, a week at a glance, and it is in a Google Classroom. So she's able to see like a visual representation of her week. Uh, and see what you know, what assignments they have, and what topics are going to go over. So it really just kind of depends on what best works for your child. Uh, some some kids do like to write down, you know, page six is due or whatever. But for kids that are struggling and where writing is stressful and it's just um, you know it's just difficult, so they they shy away from it and they just don't want to do it. Then you've got to get a little creative because if they're not organized from an executive functioning standpoint they're not going to get the assignments in on time. And then that's a whole nother layer of anxiety you don't have, and, you don't need. And I think one of the things is by using the technology to do that, um, you can like, she, she's got great memory. And I, and I do a lot of things that too. Like, you know, I know I've got to go to the doctor and, but I don't have it written down anywhere. I just remember it. But other things come up in life and then you, Kind of like, oh gosh, I gotta leave in twenty minutes, or you're you're a little bit late leaving because you because there was too many other things distracting you at the time. But by using this technology that can remind you, it's it's gonna help help relieve that anxiety. Yeah, and so the good news is that there are tools out there. The good news is there are ways to determine if your child is struggling in this particular piece. Um, the other news is you're still mom. And so you're still going to have some things that you're going to need to do to help keep your child on track because they're not always able to do it all by themselves, right? And just like with dyslexia, dysgraphia is very similar to that as in, you know, helping figure out a, a system, I guess, a tool, something that will help keep them on track, help them figure out their assignments. And then also like just the actual piece of doing the work, like what works best in your home as far as, you know, does your child just want to sit down and get it all done? Do they need multiple breaks? We're kind of laid back at our house about that, even though we are a bunch of educators. Like if she, I can tell when she needs a break, right? Let's just take a 15 minute break or a 20 minute break. Or sometimes I'll just tell her how long a break you need. And if it's more than I think, then I'll say, yeah, no, we're not going to take that long of a break. But you know, sometimes she just needs a break and then she comes back and she's ready to go as opposed to trying to fight through those 15 minutes. 
it is just not worth the fight to get through that. Now, I get you may have multiple children, so we, we don't have that situation, so we can just work with the one. But, you know, kind of, kind of pick your battles like with anything else. But if you're not aware that this might be a component holding your child up, you don't know that this dyslexic sister is sitting in the front seat beside dyslexia, then you don't know to identify and ask for help at school, get those right accommodations, and then what can I do at home to better help support my child? Uh, we found a lot of really resourceful YouTube videos that are like TED Talks and things like that. I'll try to link some of those in the show notes. There's a lot of really good information out there. I would just say be cautious of where you go because, you know, you just don't know what you're running into. But there is some really good information out there. And I think when you think about the dysgraphia alongside the with the executive functioning, which, again, is just really planning and organizing and helping them stay on track because it's busy, right? Like school's busy, life is busy. And so anything we can help take that anxiety off will help them perform better too. And then I, I yeah, the anxiety is like a big deal. And and I saw it cause I, I did have a student uh, a couple years ago who was dysgraphic and like he started talking to me about like, I, I can't do written test. And then I was like, Oh gosh, what am I going to do? And and he was a great student. And I just pulled him aside and said, okay, can I just, can we just do this orally? And so like, I called out the question, he answered it. I circled it, you know, that he, he got it correct. And we went through the test, like in a matter of minutes where if I had tried to, you know, force him to, to write it, which I wouldn't have done, but if I'd done that, or, you know, if I'd had to type it all up for him, it, yeah. it, it could have been, it could have been like a nightmare for both of us. Yeah. So sometimes, too, it's having that good relationship with your teachers to have those conversations about thinking outside the box. I know even at our house, I've asked teachers before, hey, I'm going to have her tell me I'm going to write it out. Like, this is like third grade or something. I would write out the answer because she'd been at school all day, right? So by the time I got to homework, that was exhausting. And so if she could just verbally tell me that I could write it down, I'd put a little note, hey, write this down. I mean, they could tell my handwriting, right? It's definitely different than hers. But I had a community, and the teacher's like, that's absolutely fine. She knew I wasn't doing her work because I was literally using her words. But at the end of the day, like working, collaborating with your teachers to figure out how you can best support your child at school and at home you know, sometimes it would take five minutes for me to write down what she verbally told me as opposed to, you know, an hour of her trying to write it down. How do I spell this? Oh, I forgot punctuation, like all those pieces. Because like learning to read, writing is complex as well as far as the grammar, as far as the punctuation, capital letters, subject verb. I mean, I could go on and on. Like there's a lot that goes along with the mechanics of writing. And so if your child is struggling in that piece, then that's going to cause some anxiety, right? And that, that can also cause some um, kind of pushback at home when you're dealing with homework too. So when you're looking at those pieces, it might not be the dyslexia driving at that point. It could be that it's this dysgraphia where they're really stuck. Maybe they're starting to read now, but maybe the component that you're dealing with, and that will happen with dyslexia. It might be that it's ADHD. It may be anxiety. Like sometimes things are going to shift around in the seasons of your journey and different things are going to take a front seat. So what our goal is this season is to bring these different pieces to you and educate you on those so that you can ask the questions that you need to ask. And these these words like dysgraphia don't just seem foreign to you. You have a little bit of an idea of, oh, okay, 
Now I can intellectually have a conversation with somebody about, hey, I see this happening at home. What's going on at school? How can I best support my child? And we can give you suggestions of things, but at the end of the day, it's just like dyslexia. It's very individualized. And so you got to figure out also what motivates your child and, you know, work all those pieces together in the dynamics of your home. But we say all that to encourage you, not to discourage you, and to help let you know that there are resources out there where when we were growing up... We didn't have any of these resources and, that the kids had. And I, I encourage you to really start to experiment with the technology because it wasn't until I got to college that I ever really, truly wrote my own paper. I would always like write something out, outline it, and then someone would type it up for me. Well, undoubtedly, they would change my words and it would not even sound anything like what I would have said. And it wasn't that they were trying to help me cheat. It's just they didn't understand what I, they were reading and they just, you know, clarified it in, in in their own manner. But when I got to college and I was able to just like use a computer and type it and print it out and it, it just made a difference. My writing skill like like tripled because I went from being like a C student in all my, you know, language arts and English classes all the way through, um, you know, high school and middle school when I got to college, I was able to, you know, make a B and I was just like, wow, I actually wrote that. And it's actually my words. So the, when I got to use that technology, it made a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. So one last piece that I want to share with you is that, and if you're driving, you can't do this right now, but if you believe that your child might be struggling with dysgraphia, I want you to try this activity for yourself because I think it's powerful when we can understand how our children are experiencing something. I know the other day we were watching something and, and they were talking about dyslexia and my daughter said, that's, Oh, it was the person said they could see letter. Oh, I know she was watching Percy Jackson and she said, they say that he sees the words like backwards or the letters float around. And she's like, that's not, it's not like that for me. That's not what it looks like. So she's at the age in sixth grade where we can have those conversations. And I said, well, what does it look like? Like I can kind of have a conversation, but I think it's important that we understand those pieces. So I'm going to challenge you to do this activity when you're somewhere where you can sit down and do this. I want you to just get a piece of paper, something to write with. It doesn't matter what you write with, but I want you to use your non-dominant hand. I want you to write your name. I want you to write today's date. And I want you to draw a picture of something simple. Maybe it's a tree. Maybe it's a flower. Maybe it's a house. I don't know. Something simple. And while you're doing this, I want you to pay attention to how much effort it takes you with that non-dominant hand. How it feels. Because this is a similar experience to someone who has dysgraphia where they're really trying hard to form those letters, those words, put those pictures down on the page. And this won't give you an absolute pure vision of what that looks like, but it will give you a little bit of an understanding of what they are experiencing and why it is so hard for them to write. And I believe when you do those types of activities for yourself, when you're able to kind of put yourself in their shoes, it it will give you a new perspective. That's all I'm going to say, a brand new perspective. So I am so glad that you're here today. I hope that you've made it to the end of our conversation. Chris, thank you again for being here and giving some feedback from your perspective. And remember, you got this. You are not alone. We are all on this journey together. Although it looks a little different, we are all here together. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please go to the Facebook group, Dyslexia Mom Life Podcast Community. 
And it is a private Facebook group, but you can jump in there and you'll meet other moms just like you and start building that community. We have some amazing people in there that will answer your questions even before I can. It's a very supportive community. You can also jump onto Instagram. We're posting things on there. You can ask questions, send me a DM, and we can connect that way as well. So you got this. Have a great day.